Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series today, Bible Teaching You Can Trust. So turning your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Look for Truth-Centeredness. Leo the Great was the Bishop of Rome from the years A.D. 440 to 461. He was preaching in a church in Rome, and his text that day came from 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, and that text says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Well, Leo was expositing on the first part of that sentence, O Timothy, guard the deposit. And Leo wanted to make the point that deposit was scripture or the teachings of the apostles and the prophets. It was a sacred deposit that every church leader and preacher, Bible teacher was supposed to guard. But guard in what manner? And then to make his point, Leo said, that which is committed to thee, not that which is invented by thee, that which thou hast received, not which thou hast devised, a thing not of wit, but of learning not of private assumption, but of public tradition, a thing brought to thee, not brought forth of thee, wherein thou must not be the author, but a keeper, not a leader, but a follower. Keep the deposit. (laughs) Well, the point that Leo was making that day is that every teacher of the word must resist the temptation to add something novel to the teachings of Scripture. Novelty or innovation or improvement of the deposit is actually the opposite of protecting the deposit. Instead, it allows the deposit to be stolen or squandered or even lost. Now stop and ask yourself, was Leo right? Is innovation of the Bible actually no innovation at all, rather an attack on the Bible? Well, if you know anything about Leo, you might wonder why I'm using him as an example. You know, if you happen to be a Roman Catholic, you might take exception in the way in which I introduced him merely as the Bishop of Rome. You see, Roman Catholics think of him as the 45th Pope, Pope Leo. Now, from my vantage point, I call him the Bishop of Rome, who gave considerable leadership to the Roman Church as the Roman Empire had fallen and the city of Rome had become a disaster zone, and Leo gave both religious and civic leadership to the churches when there really was no one else there. Now, in what I'm about to say, I don't want to be charged with Catholic bashing, but I have wondered about Leo's words. You see, he thought guarding the deposit was to guard the thing that was brought to thee, he said, something you have received. That, he said, is the very opposite of something brought forth from thee or something innovative that was devised. You see, from his vantage point, nothing was to be added to the deposit. Rather, the deposit is only guarded as the preacher teaches that which was given to him once for all. But the history of Romanism points out that Romanism was indeed becoming and would become ever increasingly innovative. Doctrines were being added that were not found in Scripture. So let me clear up a misconception that Protestants often have concerning Roman Catholics. I mean, sometimes I hear Bible-believing evangelicals say, well, look, Roman Catholics don't believe in the authority of the Bible, and that's tacitly untrue. Roman Catholics have long said they do believe that the Bible is the written word of God, 
Indeed, they go beyond that. They say they believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God so that all that it teaches must be obeyed. And that's exactly the same thing that evangelicals will say. But there's a profound difference, and it goes all the way back to the 1500s and the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. See, the Protestants, that is, those who broke with Catholicism, said their difference lay in the Latin phrase that they like to use, the phrase sola scriptura, translation, scriptures alone. You see, Roman Catholics argued that while the scriptures do have defining authority, yet there were two sources of infallible revelation. One, they said, was scripture, and the second was the tradition of the church. See, all that stuff that got added later, the very stuff that Leo warned against. Remember, he said, that which is brought to thee, not that which is brought forth from thee. Well, now, the church was coming up with all sorts of things that were added to the scripture, which they said had just as much authority as the scripture. And so the battle or the great war was between, shall it be scriptures alone or shall it be the Bible plus something else? And as we're going to see, that's still the question today. So when it comes to questions of salvation or the forgiveness of sins or the pattern for godliness or the promises of eternal life, when it comes to everything we need to live the life of God, the Protestants said sola scriptura, that is scriptures alone. And to fail to say sola scriptura is to fail to guard the deposit. That is to say, the scripture is the only certain revelation we have of the all-knowing God and his dealings with us. And that's the wide gulf between Roman Catholics and historic Protestants. Now, along the way came developments, or we might call them innovations. Well, for instance, the primacy of the Bishop of Rome, that's an innovation. Another, a great many unique and extra-biblical doctrines that included, well, the idea that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was both sinless and forever a virgin, even while the Bible says the opposite. Well, I don't want to belabor the point, and I don't want to be accused of Catholic bashing. Indeed, that's not my point at all. I'm simply trying to draw out a point. The idea of guarding the deposit was to allow no innovation to the biblical text. Well, let's move more to the contemporary era. See, we all know that today, that is in the Western world, we live in a relativistic era. That means that the majority of Westerners believe that truth is relative. You know, whether we're talking about how many genders there are or even what constitutes truth, it's become quite popular to speak about my truth and your truth. That is to say, it's all a matter of perspective, not about objective reality. And so for many, religion itself is not about proclaiming truth, but about helping us feel good about ourselves. And that thinking has found its way into the wider church. You know, it's now been a few years ago when Anglican Bishop John Shelby Spong wrote a book entitled Living in Sin, A Bishop Rethinks Human Sexuality. In his book, Bishop Spong wrote, and I quote, I stand ready, he said, to reject the Bible in favor of something that is more human, more humane, more life-giving, and dare I say, more godlike, end quote. Oh my, oh my. Something more godlike than the Bible, said the Anglican bishop. And so in our day of endless innovation, we've heard it all. 
everything from abortion to euthanasia to a wide variety of sexual issues or whether or not humans should be thought of as sinful anymore or whether or not hell actually exists to the idea of when Jesus died. It couldn't be true, some say, that he actually suffered for our sins. That sounds horrible. Rather, they say when he died, it was no more than an act of love, no more, no less. Notice where we've gone. You know, in his excellent book entitled Traditional Protestantism, author Terry Johnston said, and I quote, the late medieval church raised the tradition of the church to a place of authority equal to that of scripture. And yes, that's what they did. But today, we have added a number of other sources which many also think are equal to Scripture. Let me suggest two. The first is the spirit of the age. I know of one preacher who attracts followers by the millions who has taken the I am statements from the Gospel of John and taught his own people to say I am. Now, before I can go any further, anyone who's slightly biblically literate is going to recognize that the I am sayings of John are the things that Jesus said to prove he was the Son of God. But this Bible teacher says, you know, you should have your own I am sayings, things like, I'm blessed and I'm prosperous and I'm successful and I'm victorious and I'm talented and I'm creative and I'm wise and I'm healthy and I'm in shape and on and on he goes. Now, does the Bible teach that? No, of course it doesn't. But don't hear me as bashing this man. That's not why I bring it up. I'm simply saying that the idea of sola scriptura is left behind in favor of other authoritative sources, sources people will now defend with great vigor while they say they're Christians. I mean, these are thought systems deeply embedded in the thought systems of Western culture. Now, this tradition is considered equally authoritative to the text of Scripture. You know, if you think positively about yourself, you'll become what you think about yourself. It's all in your hands. So here's the question. Did the historic Christian church ever teach that? No, but that's not my point. The idea of guarding a deposit has been lost in favor of a contemporary message that resonates with Western cultural ways of thinking and it catches on and we make it a part of the faith. Sola Scriptura is lost in favor of innovation. During the month of August, we'll be unveiling a slightly new visual look for the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. This change came as a result of a deep search into a, a 60 plus year legacy of ministry and a determination to continue our commitment to offering trustworthy Bible teaching. To celebrate the past and embrace the future of Bible teaching, Dr. Neufeld will be airing a brand new five message series entitled Bible Teaching You Can Trust. This is a biblical study of the key elements that indicate the Bible teaching you're listening to is trustworthy. This will air on this radio station, online, podcast, and in our mobile app. But we also want to offer you the series on CD as our gift for free. All you need to do is call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And if Bible teaching you can trust is something you value, perhaps you'd consider offering a financial gift of support. Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. I've been trying to make the point that the Bible itself is a sacred deposit which must be guarded. 
Jude verse 3 uses very different language, and yet the same image is there. It says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The idea is that there is such a thing as the faith, that is, the corpus of Christian truth, and this faith must be defended to the extent that one must not only defend, but also contend. That is, one must fight like fury for it. One must scratch and claw and go to battle and make sure that no one is able to add to it or take from it. I mean, consider what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesian elders on a day in which he knew he would never see them again. Acts 20, verses 26 to 27, records him as saying, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That is, when I stand before the judgment and I'm asked to account for everyone that I've taught, I know I'll not be guilty of their blood. See, they won't be able to say, we followed our teacher and we didn't understand what God wanted of us. And because of our confusing teacher, we're now being condemned before God. See, Paul says, why am I not guilty of the blood of anyone? because I have endeavored to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, meaning the counsel of God has been complete with nothing left out. Now, one more quote, and this one from the first two verses of the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Notice carefully what the verse says. God has in ages past raised up prophets and has declared himself to the human race. But now, the writer of Hebrews calls the last days. In these days, God has now supremely spoken to us in his son, which is the capstone or the ultimate declaration of himself. So to argue that after Jesus, there's still something left to add, well, that's to argue that Jesus is not the ultimate revelation of God, but that something of even greater consequence needs to be added now. now. Any follower of Jesus is going to say to that, that's heresy. See, the point is this. The Bible contains not just the authoritative self-declaration of God, but the Bible contains God's only authoritative self-declaration, sola scriptura, scriptures alone. And that's exactly how the Bible understands itself. 1 Timothy 3:16 and 17 says that all scripture is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. You know, the great fourth century theologian, Augustine, considered by many to be the greatest theologian in a thousand years, wrote in a letter that was directed to St. Jerome, the great Bible translator, Augustine says, I have learned to hold the Holy Scripture as inerrant, end quote. Uh, The great early theologian Irenaeus said the very same thing. All the early church leaders believed something exactly like that. Our only yardstick, our only measuring rod for truth is the Word of God. You know, once we grasp this, we can then move on to a basic principle, one that has been called the sufficiency of Scripture. And please listen up, for this is what's most at stake in our day. Is the Bible sufficient? to give you all that you need to know about God and the life that God calls you to live 
Is that yes or no? And I say that because the great temptation has always been to deeply suspect that the Bible is not enough. You know, there's something else out there found either in some new prophet's revelation or in some cultural trend or in some psychological theory or in some church tradition or in some new formulation of morality that needs to be added to the Bible. See, after all, at least that's how many think. After all, unless I make use of this new thing, no one's going to be interested in the Christian faith. But consider the opposite. You know, it was the late William Ralph Inge who wrote, whoever marries the spirit of this age will find himself a widower in the next. Now, try to think about that for a moment. See, the problem with the spirit of the age is that whatever is popular today is abandoned as silly and as absurd in the age to come. You know, we may think that by confessing that we're strong and wise, by confessing that I have an IQ of uh, 250, that that will make it true, and our age will clap and cheer when you say that. But in the next generation, we will find that this very kind of talk will be mocked as sheer babbling nonsense. And by the way, we can see that already. You know, in one study that I'm aware of, math students from around the world rated their abilities, and it was found that Western students rated their abilities far higher than Asian students, and yet it was the Asians who rated their abilities as even poor and substandard. They actually fared better than those who rated their abilities higher. See, you can confess yourself rich and powerful and the best math student in history, but it'll mean nothing at all. Yet what seems wise and insightful in one generation is roundly mocked in the next, which of course means that if you do marry the spirit of the age, you're getting married to something that lasts for a moment. Your religion has nothing to do with enduring truth. It has everything to do with the fact that you have been led by a fad and a fancy, a shifting shadow, something that's here for a moment, and will soon be forgotten and come to no effect. Such is hardly the ground upon which you want to discover the principles of eternal life. See, I love what the English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said. He said of all Christian preachers and leaders, he said, he is not to serve this generation by yielding to any of its notions or ideas which are contrary to the word of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not only for one generation, it is for all generations. That is, if it's not something that's enduring and something that remains, you know, not just after human beings pass away, but as whole civilizations rise and fall, if the truth does not endure beyond that, you can rest assured it was not the truth of God. You know, for this reason, let's return to our theme. Is the Bible teacher you love to hear? the one who states things that men and women have believed thousands of years ago and which, if our Lord delays his coming, men and women will continue to believe thousands of years from now? Or is what you're delighting in hearing really something that will soon be replaced in the next fad that comes across the landscape? Let's now come back to our theme, Bible teaching you can trust. Listen very carefully to these words written by a preacher and a prophet some 2,700 years ago. It's Isaiah 40, 6-8. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. 
The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And after you and the preacher you love is placed into the earth, and when a new generation rises, the word of God will still endure. So here's my question. Do you want to marry the spirit of the age and so perish along with it? Or do you want to be joined to the one whose words endure, even when this old, tired earth has passed away? See, that's the only question that really matters, not whether it makes you feel good today. And so if you were to ask, what do you believe about homosexuality or any sexuality or gender issues, our response should always be, chapter and verse, please. What do you believe about hell? Answer, chapter and verse, please. You know, what do you believe is going to happen after we die? Chapter and verse in Scripture, please. How should I respond to my enemies and those who seek to harm me? Chapter and verse, please. What does it mean to be human? Chapter and verse of Scripture, please. How does God treat those who will not repent? Chapter and verse, please. How does God treat us when we repent and turn to Jesus? What does the Bible say? Chapter and verse, please. Indeed, there is not one thing a Bible teacher or preacher can say that should not inspire us to go to the Bible and to find out whether or not what he teaches is truly there. I love what the late R.C. Sproul once said when he saw the bumper sticker, the Bible says it, I believe it, and it settles it. Sproul was perplexed. He said, why do we need the caveat, I believe it? Isn't it enough to say, the Bible says it, that settles it. Trust Bible teachers who think their only job is to point away from themselves and point to the enduring word of the living God. Thanks so much, John. But let me ask you, are you drawing a line in the sand and actually saying nothing can be added to the word of God? Well, nothing can be added to the word of God. That I do say, the Bible in itself is sufficient. It is the final and complete word of God. But I'm not saying that we can't discover a truth that may have been neglected in times past. Um, it is possible that, uh, you know, uh, there are you know, great Bible teachers who have misunderstood a word. So we can say that we can look for new insight. Um, but when we look for new insight, I, I think we need to ask ourselves, is that new insight actually what the Scripture teaches? So I, I think what we need to be safe in saying this, we always mine the Scripture for all that we can find, but uh, what we know with certainty is found only in, in the Word of God. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Have you been considering joining us for the 2021 Back to the Bible Canada Israel experience? Well, after much consideration and prayer, the ministry has decided that we'll be postponing our next Israel experience to 2022. You'll understand why with so much uncertainty in our world right now. The exciting news is that those who have been nervous or reluctant to jump on board have a new window of opportunity. Join us in Israel April 24th to May 2nd, 2022, and consider adding to your experience our extension to Jordan May 2nd to May 7th, 2022. This will definitely be a journey of a lifetime. Register soon because even though the date is a little ways away, the space is limited. 
For more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit our events page at backtothebible.ca. Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust.